Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, We guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. What's up, Open Floor Globe? I'm your host, Michael the Pod Pina, and I'm joined on the other line by my good friend, Sports Illustrated senior writer, Chris Herring. Chris, uh, I'm just a guy on a podcast asking questions, um, but now that the Celtics have signed Nick Stauskas, do you think it's okay to lock them in as a runaway favorite to win the championship this year? <laughs> I love that you're asking me that question, but only because I know you're asking it as a joke. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see Am him I? back. I'm excited to see him back in the league. Uh, I was, I was very. I did see the. Didn't he start a game like 13 for 13 or something ridiculous? A, a, 11 for 11. 100 points in his last two games. No big deal. It's pretty good. Pretty it's pretty decent. good. But. Uh, We'll see. We'll we'll see. Even if he's like getting off the bench for the Celtics, but I'm. Uh, I mean, I, I think the the fairer question, in all honesty, is like, are the Celtics our NBA champions that we just haven't been taking seriously? All of a sudden, like, because they look they look damn good, man. No way I am, around it. I am increasingly taking them seriously. Um, and last night's game was a lot of fun. Ja versus Tatum, a lot of fun. Um, we did a roundtable. I know this isn't in our outline, but we did a roundtable yesterday and I made our editors uh, ask the question, <laughs> would you rather build a team around Jason Tatum and John Moran? What was your answer again? I, uh, I basically said Tatum, uh, which kind of pained me to say it, admit it, just because, I mean, I th- you, you know this, this is always my caveat with everything we do is injuries. And so, I don't quite trust John Morant to be healthy for the vast majority of his career. I mean, obviously it's a little bit ironic to say that given that he was in the same draft as, as Zion and um, <laughs> obviously jaw has not been the injury concern, but just his playing style and the explosive guards that are kind of his height range just generally have not held up very well. When you consider wall Rose Westbrook, or maybe not held up isn't the right word, but they've had injuries pretty serious injuries and jaw obviously does not play a style that is conducive to never missing games uh, because of, you know, his lack of aggression. It's not really how he operates. So Tatum being bigger, you know, I think built a little bit more solidly, more versatile defensively, which is something we don't talk about a whole lot with jaw for obvious reason, because of how great he is on offense. But um, I think I trust Tatum a little bit more in that regard. So I picked Tatum. I was actually surprised that so many people took Tatum or said that he was this. I said actually that he was the safer pick. I think you did as well. A few other of our colleagues did. I was just surprised given Ja being Ja, but I slightly took Ja um, over Tatum, which surprised our editors. 
because <laughs> they thought I was going to be the only one who took Tatum. Um, <laughs> but fun question, fun game. Uh, Sas Castillo back in the league. That should be the, 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 the title of today's episode. All right, Chris. So on today's show, we are going to open up the mailbag and uh, talk about a few teams we haven't discussed in a while. Uh, first, a quick reminder to please keep your emails coming to all of our wonderful listeners. Uh, openfloormail at gmail.com. That's openfloormail at gmail.com. All right, Chris. So I want to start today's show with a, uh, a conversation about the New Orleans Pelicans, um, a team that I wrote a little bit about today on SI.com. Everyone can go check that out. Um, but earlier this week, we finally received a positive medical update about Zion Williamson. Uh, the 21-year-old phenom remains out indefinitely, but the bone in his surgically repaired foot is finally healing how the team wants it to, and he's expected to participate in on-court activities sometime soon. Uh, fantastic stuff, fantastic news. Um, but in the meantime, without Zion, the Pelicans are pretty good. Since February 1st, they rank fifth in offensive rating, fourth in defensive rating, uh, fourth in net rating, uh, one slot higher than the Memphis Grizzlies, which was just a shocking statistic when I looked that up. Uh, they're currently in 10th place, but have a, a manageable schedule this month. And I mean, I think they can easily pass the Lakers for ninth place and have home court in that first play-in game. And then who knows what can happen uh, from there. But just what do you make of this team? Um, just I feel like we left them for dead, or at least I did, after they started, like, what, one for one in 11, one in 12, something like that. What do you make of this team right now? And what, what would you say is their best-case scenario for the rest of the season? Okay, so to me, it was very easy to kind of pile on them early on. When I think the reality is, uh, I think it always catches teams off guard when you're expecting to have somebody or something, and then they're not there. Uh, a lot of my references, you, as you know, this being my podcast uh, co-host, Knicks, because I used to cover them, and, and Bulls, just because I'm from Chicago and uh, grew up watching them, watched a lot of them during the Derrick Rose era. Um mm -hmm. It's always really interesting, like when you get a guy back or, you know, and you get him back and then he gets hurt immediately after he comes back. I watched that happen with Rose and, and obviously with that playoff run that the Bulls had. Um, and it, it's just something where I think when you're expecting something like Zion coming back, we all thought he was going to be back right at the start of the season. Then he just wasn't. And it was like there wasn't even really even if there was an update, obviously, we've blown past four or five at this point. For this team, I think that takes something out of a team that's waiting to get a start back. I think it, it it takes a toll. And I think to some extent, it also forces a team that was expecting to have that guy back in the mix. When you don't have that, there's a gap where guys have to play differently and they have to learn how to do it. And so I think to some extent, um, that was what happened. There was a gaping hole with Zion not there at the beginning of the season. I think they started to round into form once they realized he's not going to be back for a while. And really, I would say since the first two months of the season, that's what we've been looking at as a team that basically has been around 500 or so since they got past that and since they really became their own team without Zion. Um, because of that, and now they've obviously upgraded in some ways and went out and got McCollum. Um, they've made some tweaks to the rotation as far as the way the starting lineup looks, which is what you wrote about. Mm -hmm. I think really now I'm kind of just interested to see what they can do. Um, quite frankly, with this group, the best case scenario, I think if, if I'm being completely, completely honest, obviously if you get Zion to play and he looks good and he fits in, well, that's ideal because then it, it makes you maybe feel better. It makes him feel better about a future with the franchise, but assuming that doesn't happen, their best case scenario, obviously, is to get in as a play-in team, assuming that they can't quite, you know, well, not that they can't quite, that they're not going to get in range to avoid the plan, that they mm -hmm. make the playoffs through the plan. And then at that point, you allow yourself to feel good about the fact that you did that without Zion. And quite frankly, if Zion decides he still wants to leave, or not still wants to leave, if he decides he wants out, 
he looks like the one that there's a problem with, not you, um, where you, you know, you kind of can't really point at the organization. Like they overcame all this craziness with Zion's injury. They retooled and fortified and were able to do this, which shows like the makings of something with a really young group. So to me, that's their best case scenario, assuming that Zion's not back in the mix. Cause like you said, he's still indefinite from what we know. And at this point, I don't trust any update that I get from this organization. He might be healing. He might be healing a little bit, but like, where is he? Where was he on the spectrum as far as like, how much did he need to heal in the first place? So Mm -hmm. that's their best case scenario as far as I'm concerned. Do you think he's going to come back this year? No. And I mean, I know that, you know, just based on what we talked about in the outline, like the question is like, do I think he should also at one point? No, I don't think he does. And to some extent, I'm not even sure he should. Um, Like, I don't even know if I really want him to because of what I just told you. And I think to some extent, maybe it allows you to feel a little bit better. If you do get in a situation where he says, I want out, you can feel pretty good about the fact that like we have accomplished something without him. Um, We've got the makings of something nice here. I don't know. How how, how much do you trust in that? Just I, I know you obviously wrote the story. You've watched the team. They, they do look different. Um, McCollum has been a great fit for them. Mm-hmm. How much do you trust just this, this core and kind of what we've seen? We've seen this sort of run from the Celtics now. We've seen Memphis playing this way for a long time. But how much do you trust what you've seen and kind of the eye test as far as this being sustainable for New Orleans? With this, I think it's, Yeah, I think it's been fun. Um, McCollum has just been – I wrote this in the story, but he's just been an absolute blowtorch in a Pelicans uniform playing – literally the best basketball of his entire career. I don't know if he's going to be as efficient um, shooting the ball as he has over like an eight game stretch for the rest of the season There's 20 plus games left. We'll see. He's been terrific. Um, I feel like Brandon Ingram is sliding back into that place of just perennially overlooked and underrated. He's just very good and very solid and has improved as a playmaker, I think, as this season has gone on, playing in lineups that just don't have a ton of spacing at all. Uh, I just appreciate guys who can um, just get shots off uh, whenever and make really difficult shots look easy. He does that every night. Um, So that's nice to see those two on the court at the same time really create a uh, a lot of issues for any defense that's trying to contain them. Um, and then, yeah, the, the the crux of why I wanted to write about the Pelicans was that starting five where they put Jackson Hayes in as the four next to Jonas Valanciunas. And, uh, you know, you're super huge. You have McCollum basically as a point guard, but not really. I, there's just no point guard on the floor. Um, you have Ingram and Herb Jones, the rookie who's just been absolutely fantastic and should make all defensive teams for the rest of his career also there and you're just you're just you're monstrous and offensively they've you know they pound the offensive glass they've had a lot of success there they don't shoot threes it hasn't really mattered so far defensively they've been a total mess but I feel like um, as Jackson sort of figures out how to guard on the perimeter you know they're switching a ton um, they can they can all kind of get a little bit more comfortable with that and also he plays you know, he's basically their backup five as well right now when, when Jonas takes a seat. So I, like, I, I like them. I think they're fun. I, I appreciate the matchup issues that they can create with a group like this. And I like teams that are kind of zigging or, or zagging while everyone's creative. With, right. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, I like that from them. I, you know, I don't, you actually look at the playoff standings and all that. Like, I think they can beat the Lakers in one game or the Blazers. We'll see what happens with the Lakers. Maybe the Lakers just fall out <laughs> of this entirely. I don't know. Oh, God. Um, but I think they can win that game um, fairly easily, especially if it's in New Orleans. And then who knows if you're in the play-in, like they'd probably play the Clippers. Is Kawhi on the floor? Is Paul George on the floor? In that case, like goodbye probably <laughs> to the Pelicans. Um, I don't think that Zion is going to come back this season. Um, I'm with you. I, do, I just don't. 
I don't really believe anything that's put out in a press release from them. And can I say this about this sure. situation too? Like to some extent, you know, and like nobody knows definitively what will happen. We, we've obviously seen some writing on the wall. Who knows whether Zion's tried to erase the crayon or marker that he scrawled onto the wall. I don't know. But my my thought is like if you're the Pelicans and he gets hurt again because you bring him back this season, we're talking about someone who like we've talked about Zion as being like this massive trade chip, not mm. chip, but like this guy that every team would want. And I think most teams probably would love him. But if he gets hurt and he gets seriously hurt um, and then he's going to miss like another year because you brought him back at the end of a year where you were no matter what they do, they're probably not going to play themselves out of play in range or into, you know, avoiding play in range. So they're probably going to be in that same spot anyway. At that point, it would only be like an eagerness to see Zion back on the court with this new group um, or with this group, I guess is the best way to put it. Mm -hmm. Or Zion really saying, I just really want to be out there, which I don't know. Like at this point, I, I just don't love the idea of feeling like you're maybe you're not rushing him, but if he's missed this much of the season already and you don't have like a realistic shot of doing much in the playoffs, which I, we could have that conversation, but I, I just wouldn't quite understand the point of doing it beyond just trying to excite people. Or maybe you want to try to line up more season ticket holders for next year by, you know, sh- showcasing a little bit of what he can do, but we've seen what he can do. Already, I think you just need to get him healthy and on a regimen where he can stay healthy. It's hard to like look at this team theoretically with Zion on it. So, for the the purpose of this question, just pretend that he doesn't come back. But sure. if they were to um, make the actual playoffs out of the plan, if they were to beat the the if they got the Timberwolves and you know, one game against the Timberwolves, even in Minnesota, which would be absolutely um, crazy atmosphere. Like that's just a, it's not a toss up. Like I would probably favor the Tim, but it's just, it's one game in the NBA, like in with the three point line, like anything can happen. So let's just say they get into the playoffs. And I think there's like a 24% chance of that actually happening, but let's just say they get in. Do you give them a puncher's chance in a seven game series against a Suns? No. Or I know you, I, I know who I'm talking <laughs> to right now. No. <laughs> yeah. Even Sorry. if, what, what if, uh, what if, Chris, what if Chris Paul is slow no. back with the, it doesn't matter to you? You're no. just, I, I don't because I, I mean, they've played without him before and they've played, frankly, granted, it was a hobbled Lakers team, but they played a, a a Lakers team that, you know, quite frankly, was better, you know, even then, I think, than than this this Pelicans team is. So I no, I'm not I'm not willing to do that. I think the the Suns deserve more credit too than you know of how how solid they've looked, even when guys have been out of the lineup, whether it's Booker, whether it's Paul. I'm not willing to give them a puncher's chance over them, even if Chris Paul's out. Are you? I'm looking at your face. I'm looking no. at your face, Michael. No, I, I I probably would not give them a puncher's chance, but I want to play devil's advocate for a second and just say okay. that Willie Green, you have Willie Green on the sideline. He's he knows that team in and out. He's, you know, calling out the plays. He's uh, you know, knowing the adjustments that Monty Williams is gonna make from game to game. Does that change the calculus at all for you? No. Or are you just still because it's like, it's just a not? big it's it's asking a lot of a team that hasn't been there before. And and who knows, maybe McCullum on his own is is enough veteran leadership to kind of push you over that edge. Um, but I just don't trust a team that hasn't been there. I don't know. Y- your hope is always that a team that hasn't been to that stage before, um, that maybe they don't even know to be afraid mm-hmm. um, when they actually make it to the playoffs. I just don't trust a team like that to then take out a, a one seed that's been so far ahead of everybody else, that's been so dominant even when they're missing – Aiton or when Paul or when I guess it's been Booker who's been out more than, than Paul has this year. I don't, I just don't see that happening uh, for a team that just made the finals and almost won the finals. That's been head and shoulders better than everybody else this year. I, you know, I've, I've been certainly wrong before, so maybe I'm really off here too, but I'd be stunned if, um, if they not only made it, 
but then, you know, really, really push the Suns or beat the Suns, I'd be really surprised, even if Chris Paul was out. I think they could push them to six. I think it would, I could, I think it could be competitive. I don't think they would win, though. I, I agree with you. The Suns are very good. Hmm. And we should, we should stop disrespecting the Suns. Even though maybe I'm not, I just, I'm not the one disrespecting. I'm this, is no the perver- this is the per- the proverbial way. The proverbial way. Um, <laughs> don't don't loop me into that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Do you have anything else you want to say about the Pelicans? I feel like they were just like a fun team to hit right now because they've they've been yeah. flying under the radar, and the Zion news was just like okay, people like pay attention to the Pelicans. Like they're super fun. Pay attention to them outside of the, the the realm of just Zion because I think what what I dislike about the discourse of the NBA as it relates to the smaller markets and oh who wants to play there which by mm-hmm. the way Jaws having like an MVP level season um, for a team mm-hmm. that is like easily easily a top three team this year just as far as how they perform would be head and shoulders number one in the Eastern Conference if they played in the East which they theoretically should just given where they are geographically like small markets. Milwaukee just came off a championship. You know, it's not the end of the world to be a small market. New Orleans is a great place. Um, Granted, I haven't had to live there or play there, but the fact that they are making this run without Zion there um, and that they've been solid basically all year since the first month, month and a half of the season, um, I love the idea of trying to to shine a light on them a little bit outside of just what Zion Williamson is thinking or planning to do because they deserve that. And I think it has to be frustrating if you're a player there. Um, so you only hear about your name as a team come up whenever Zion's, um, you know, injury prognosis changes mm-hmm. or doesn't change or that we start to hear rumblings or he doesn't introduce himself to CJ McCollum. Like they, they deserve credit outside of that. And um, so I love that you wrote about him. Uh, yeah. And I, I hope, I kind of hope that they do get in, um, to the actual playoffs. Cause I watching CJ cook is really fun in a playoff setting. Um, watching Brandon Ingram in a playoff setting would be fun. So I'm, I'm, I'm rooting for that. I think it would be just enjoyable. Um, as you said, outside of the, the Zion, uh, discussion, more um, interesting to watch than the Lakers I'll tell you that separate I, conversation. I yeah, and I really hope they don't make the playoffs. That would just be that's a clean sweep if I've ever seen one. Um, yeah. yeah, eight and eighteen, eight and eighteen against teams that are above five hundred this season. The Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, that sounds actually better than what I would have expected. Wow. Yeah, it's not good. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment... Oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Um, okay, let's open up the mailbag then, Chris. Um, we have this one, this fun email from, from Mario, who writes, Hello, Chris, Michael, and Rohan. First of all, got to say I've been a listener of the podcast since the sharp Gulliver days. You guys achieve something really great. Every week, we, the listeners, get two completely opposite episodes. With Rohan and Michael, it's like a Celtics versus Lakers game in the 1980s. But Chris and Michael is like another podcast, a more paced pod with lots of data and history, kind of like my Spurs in the days of Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, and Manu Ginobili. But both are informative and fun in their own way. Thank you so much, Mario. Very kind of you. Um, 
I win every single game against Rohan, though, in the Celtics versus Lakers. <laughs> I just want to throw that in there. Okay, Mario says, um, my question is about the future of the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, the team has interesting talent, especially DeJounte Murray, picks and uh, cap space for the upcoming season. Do you guys see a path for a return to the good old days or being a small market team? Is the draft the only road ahead? I started following the Spurs when Tiago Splitter was drafted. And since then, I'm a black and gray fan. Thank you guys for the for the blast that Open Floor, the Open Floor pod, podcast is. Keep up the good work. Uh, thank you, Mario from Brazil. Awesome hmm. email. Um, so, Chris, do you want to do you want to take this first, lead this, or uh, do you want me to kind of give my little spiel about the San Antonio Spurs and and where they're at right now? In my I, opinion, I mean, it's it's really hard not to like what they've got with with some really good young talent. I mean, obviously led by Murray, but they've got plenty of other guys too that um, I think you could have a conversation about kind of the rank order in which you would take certain guys. Uh, I, I, I swear to God. Uh, Jakob Pertl must be the player that I see on every like analytically driven fans wish list that they want their team to trade for. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's him, Vassell. You've got you've got a lot of young guys that are are good looking talents on this team. Um, I, I I tend to think though that they're always going to be a a team that kind of is more driven by the draft though. Um, the, the idea that, like, for instance, like if, if I'm the Spurs or a Spurs fan, I'm probably a little bit annoyed that, like, DeMar DeRozan is getting so much attention this year in Chicago, which, granted, he deserves a ton of attention. He's been really good for them. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's put up historic stretches for the Bulls. He's part of the reason they're as far up in the playoff race as they are. But also, and you know this, I know this, we were both fans of DeRozan in the last couple of years before he got to Chicago. He, he was being overlooked to some extent, I think, because he was playing in San Antonio, maybe even a little bit by people that are in the league. Um, obviously, you know, these teams that decided not to give him the offers that Chicago did. So I'm, I'm a little bit I don't fully trust. I guess I'll put it that way. I don't fully trust that the Spurs can really convince a lot of guys to come play there unless they're paying a lot more than other teams are. Um it's not a particularly, particularly entertaining place to live relative to the other markets in the league. Um, it's not a team that's going to really get a lot of attention. And I think people aren't generally going to go sign up to play with other young guys, even if they're really talented. Um, you normally have to kind of prove it in a playoff series or two first. And I mean, ask somebody like Damian Lillard, it's not easy to convince people to come play with you. Um you know, somewhere that's kind of more of a remote market or a smaller market. So I I think, yeah, the draft and maybe some trades that they can swing because they do have young talent. Um, and they've obviously had a great eye for talent, you know, with all the guys they've taken in the past and their development. So I tend to think at least now with this regime still being intact, they'll always be a team that's kind of more based on development, making good picks. Um, and yeah, I, I would love for it to not be the case, but I'm, I'm not really sure I see this path being any different than the ones I've had in the past. Yeah, I I mean, the talk of uh, the good old days, uh, that's probably a ways away, I would say, just because like you got to you got to step into relevance first before we talk about like the Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili age and i think to get back there you absolutely need to rebuild through the draft that's what you do if you're a small market team like the san antonio spurs and i do i agree with you i like some of their young talent um absolutely i dejounte is probably like my favorite player in the, in the whole league um i like keldon johnson Devin I, I left out keldon too my goodness jesus yeah i mean it's, he, it's a team with a lot of young talent there's no question about that yeah Right. And it looks like they're not going to make the plan this year. And that should be, you know, they traded, it's just the direction that they're headed in. They traded Derek White to the Celtics for a first round pick. Um, They traded Thad Young. I think he was the oldest player in their roster uh, for a first round pick. They could not look good in in, uh, 
in Toronto so far, by the way, there's not neither here nor there, but anyway, go ahead. He's, he's looked, uh, I don't know if you've caught like, um, like their possessions where he just plays point guard and, um, they're enjoyable. I don't I, like they're an adventure, I guess is the best way to put yeah. it. Actually. I don't know. I kind of, <laughs> yeah, that, that probably is the best way to put it. Cause I look at some of them I'm like, hmm. like I've watched them the last couple of years and I, I, I thought he'd be a little bit more, um, yeah, just interesting yeah. is probably the way to put it. He'll, I'm going to give him more time before I really judge it. But anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. But yeah, no, but yeah. So, they, I mean, they're just clearly trying to get uh, first-round picks, and they they did that. Um, they're not good. They're going to have their own pick, which could be the – I think they have the seventh-worst record in the league right now, a game behind the, the, the Kings, a team that they lost to last night. Um, so – yeah, we'll see how the lottery. It's basically like you got to play the lottery if you're San Antonio, and I think you definitely keep Dejounte as long as possible. Um, hopefully, for honestly his entire career, I think that that's a franchise point guard you can certainly build around. He can play with a lot of different types of players, makes those around him better, plays both ends. But it's just fundamentally good to see the Spurs, um, their posture at the trade deadline to like actually get assets that'll help you in the future and to, to kind of acknowledge where you are as an organization, I think is, is great. If I was a Spurs something fan, that the Knicks should have done <laughs> something that the Lakers should have done. Sorry. Anyway, go ahead. I'm interrupting you too much. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, but you're, yeah, you're exactly, you're exactly spot on. Um, so, you know, I like watching, Zach Collins on the court again. That's it's fun to see him play again. Um, I would have probably been even more aggressive though. If I were, if I were San Antonio at the deadline, I would have probably moved on from someone like Doug McDermott, seeing what I can get from him. If I can get a conditional first with that young, what can I get for Doug McDermott? Who's actually playing pretty well this year, but you can't get rid of every single veteran. And I understand that. Um, So we'll, I guess we'll just see where, what happens. I would love for um, San Antonio to get a top five pick in this draft, maybe even higher than that. There's some really interesting prospects from everything I read and, and see. Um, I'm not actually watching college basketball, but there seem to be franchise altering players and names. And for one of them to go to San Antonio uh, would be awesome. So I'm rooting for that. I love balance in the league and as much parity as possible. So it's like a little too early to just say that the future is bright for the Spurs. Um, they actually need to to get some of those actual, maybe not Tim Duncan-esque, because those come around once in a lifetime, but really you got to hit in the draft with maybe not even like a Kawhi, but like hit in the draft where wh- wherever you are slotted at, you have to get someone who's at, at the at the bare minimum um, someone who can contribute positively for like 30, 33 minutes a night, where, where regardless of where you pick. So the fact that they have four picks that could be in the top 40 um, this year, you got to hit on all of them. That's just That's it, so the margins exciting aren't there. That a team like that, obviously the Raptors are another team. I would say probably those two groups are the ones mm-hmm. that you get the most excited to kind of see what they're going to do with their picks just because – Every now and then they miss on them and, and think about it. Like the Spurs probably had the biggest reach, you know, according to draft analysts and stuff like that, when they took Primo in this past draft. The young, I think it was the youngest guy in the draft. He was a guy that like nobody had mm-hmm. their first round even. And the Spurs took him and it's like, okay, but nobody's willing to call it stupid. And, and granted, like <laughs> I think every every team should probably get at least a one-year reprieve before we call anything stupid just because – Players can look totally different in a second year. We've been dealing with the pandemic and kind of the shortened training camps or no training camps at all. But when a team like the Spurs takes a swing like that, it kind of you you open your eyes a little bit wider just because you're like, this is the Spurs. This is a team that, you know, kind of put the international scouting stuff on the map, mm-hmm. uh, which, by the way, that's one of the other things I think that, you know, an advantage that the Spurs probably had in a previous generation that they don't necessarily have now when we talk about just their ability to kind of do what they did and replicate what they had before. Um, it's harder to do that now because of how much success the Spurs had with it. So we'll, we'll see what happens, but 
you there aren't many teams you would rather see what they can do with four picks that early. Um, you know, Oklahoma City is probably another one that you put on that list as well. But mm-hmm. um, very, very intrigued to see what the Spurs do in the next year or two. Also, and this is a question I always have in the back of my mind, which, you know, maybe should be more at the forefront is like, how long does Pop stay in that role? How, how long does he want to keep coaching? Because um, yep. I know a lot of us were of the thought that like, okay, Kawhi's leaving. The team's not a contender anymore. Like, this is a guy that's only been in contention for championships his whole career, basically in San Antonio since he got Duncan. So now what? And a lot of us expected him to walk away to consider other things. You know, his wife passed a couple of years ago. So I don't I don't know how much longer he wants to keep doing. It seems like someone that just genuinely loves the game. But um, it's it's unusual to see someone go from coaching a contender every year for as long as he did. You know, a guy that will be the winningest coach of all time very soon in regular season. Um, you know, that's something that I imagine might change the way stuff looks, too, depending on how much longer he wants to go. Yeah, so go Spurs, go. Uh, I very much also enjoy the Coyotes Instagram account. Um, you well, you look at the Coyotes Instagram account, Michael? I follow as I, I, as many mascot Instagram. The mas, mascot Instagram accounts are just really good for your mental health, honestly. I, I recommend them to everyone listening. Please follow them all. They're, they're a joy. But particularly Michael, Benny, Benny the Bull... And the coyote are the two absolute greatest. Um, this is why I don't use Instagram. You got to get get on it, man. It's you'll, it'll brighten up your day. I I promise you. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh my! Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Speaking of brightening up your day, Chris, we have another email from uh, Sebastian who writes, Hey, Open Floor Crew. Longtime listener and first-time emailer. First of all, thanks for the great work. I love the podcast. Here's my question. With Giannis winning back-to-back MVPs, then Jokic, and this year's MVP race being between Jokic and Joel Embiid, we are looking forward to four non-American MVPs in a row for the very first time. My question, how long will this MVP drought for U.S. players be? Are we looking forward to 10 years with no U.S. player winning an MVP? Again, thank you for your pod. P.S. Rohan, put some respect on Kevin Garnett's name. Uh, (laughs) Just a fantastic email from Sebastian uh, writing in from Germany. Shout out to you, Sebastian. Uh, I think this question is a lot of fun. and. Mm -hmm. It showcases just obviously the growth of the game internationally. I never even thought about um, the fact that it's a great stat. Yeah. I didn't even, it it never crossed my mind until I read this email. Um, And it got me thinking like, when is the next time a U.S. born player will win MVP? It's obviously like trivial, but also it's fascinating. Um, It is. I think that last, well, first of all, do you agree that uh, either Joel Embiid or Nikola Jokic will are heavy, heavy, heavy favorites to win MVP this year? Yeah, no, I think so. I mean, Giannis, I think, is in the conversation, but I don't think he's being done any favors by the fact that Milwaukee's been kind of uneven lately. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that people scrutinize a lot more when you're talking about giving a third MVP in a row or three and four years to somebody Giannis will be looked at just because, you know, I think people still see Milwaukee as a contender and they are, 
and they're coming off a title, but um, it just kind of feels like Embiid will get the most consideration because he hasn't won and because his team has a chance to have the best record um, among the guys that are in competition for it. So I think him and then I think Jokic, you know, the fact that his numbers are still really comparable to what they were, the fact that, you know, he might be getting his guys back soon, which maybe gives them a lift and the standings before the season's out. Um, but how much he's been able to carry them and basically have them in position to be, you know, in, in I, I wouldn't have said before the season that they could have been in a situation where they would completely avoid the plan if you had told me that they're going to be missing all those guys for the whole year, basically, up, mm-hmm. at least up till this point. So him replicating what he did last year, I think it's just really those two guys for now, but we'll see. You know, an injury could happen. Um, I'll be really surprised if Embiid doesn't win it at this rate, especially with the way stuff looks with Harden so far and the fact that Harden is making life easier for him. Do you think that Harden, I know this wasn't the question, don't you think that Harden kind of takes away from the MVP buzzer or just like the whole point of the award is like, or part of the narrative for Embiid was that Simmons was out and they were in, you know, they were sure. beyond That was my water. argument before the year. Yeah, that was my argument before the year. But I mean, just looking at the game so far, it's it, it looks very clear that the Sixers could finish with, an even better record than what they had, which, yeah, that's Mm -hmm. because there's more talent now, but, and this isn't something that I necessarily expected going in because of how much kind of one-on-one ball Harden plays. I was thinking that like, okay, there might be a lot of my turn, your turn sort of stuff with Embiid and Harden. Um, Embiid's rate of like baskets that are assisted and basically just how much less he has to do completely on his own. The, the, assist rate on his scores now is like 15, 20, 25 points higher than it was before Harden was there. Damn. You know, he, I think it was like half of his baskets were unassisted. And then for those first couple of games with Harden, there is like 80 something percent. Um, so I, I think he's just making life so much easier for him, not to mention that he's still getting to the line as much, if not more than before. And so his numbers are just going to be massive their winning percentage with Harden there will be, it will put them in a higher range, which people vote on that as far as like, where did your team finish? So if we're looking at Jokic finishing five or six in the West, and we're looking at the, the, I mean, the Sixers could still finish as a top two seed is the other thing. So I probably should kind of, and and that's the thing. That's the thing with like Embiid is like, I, I think people will, we talked all year about how badly people were looking for somebody else to give the award to other than Jokic. And when it was clear that he was the guy Embiid is that alternative this year while also playing, he's worthy of it. You know, statistically his team will finish in a better spot, um, should finish in a better spot with Harden there. Uh, so I just think Embiid kind of has the inside track to it right now. Yeah, Jokic isn't going to finish with home court in the Western Conference. It looks like Utah, Memphis, Warriors, um, Suns pretty much have that locked up. It is funny, though, just when you look at the records of their two teams, and I'm still pro-Jokic in this debate um, pretty handedly based on the on-offs and all that. But when you look at the record, it's like Denver's 36 and 26 and Philly's 38 and 23. It's like. Really it's it, it's lopsided. That's what I was saying about Memphis. They'd be number one in the East pretty comfortably. So it's a little silly to look at it that way, but people will look at it that way. Um, uh, of course they will. Yeah. Um, but back to this question, like, you know, last night in Boston, you had John Morant uh, born in South Carolina and you had uh, Jason Tatum born in i'm actually at 100 percent positive he was born in st louis but yeah his kid I, is, from- I, I didn't watch it but it was in an instagram post now i'm being weird with instagram his son <laughs> they posted a video with deuce running like, around saying, iconic iconic yes it was a such great a video. cute video so Incredible i assume he's born in st louis or that he at least grew up there yeah um so those are two superstars who play um, who two young superstars who play for young, very good teams that should have their name in this conversation for years to come. Ja, like there is this outsized chance that if Ja keeps um, 
doing things that we've never seen before over the last 20 games. And the Grizzlies finished with the second best record in the NBA. Like there's a, there's a chance that people could be like this because his Q rating is just through the roof. And like at the end of the day, people vote on this stuff. Media members vote on this stuff. So it wouldn't stun me entirely if Joss stole this MVP award, but I think that it's either Jokic or, or Embiid's to lose. Um, but Ja and Tatum, those are two guys who I would put in the category going forward. Um, Devin Booker and Trey Young are also just players born in the United States who are on, or I guess the Hawks aren't very good this year, but you think going forward, they will be a competitive team with their core and their nucleus. Um, Those are just two other guys that I could see potentially sniffing an MVP, but like, man, when you look at the international players, it's like, it's Giannis who's not old. It's Jokic, not old. Embiid, not old. Uh, Luka Doncic, very young. He's going to be a while. He's going to be there he, a while. And he's going to win. He He's basically guaranteed to win at least one MVP in his career. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, like who who is the next? Who, like, okay, so just point blank. Who's the next guy um, born in the United States to win an MVP in your opinion? Who's it going to be? Uh, no, I think you reeled off the guys. I, I didn't even consider Booker. Um I think he's got a shot, you know, if his team is going to be winning 60 games a year for the mm-hmm. next couple of years, then obviously he's going to be in the conversation. Maybe Donovan Mitchell develops enough consistency one day to do it. Um, I wouldn't, you know, make him an odds on favorite to do that. Um, but yeah, outside of the names you mentioned, I had Trey on my list as well. Um, but it, I mean, you feel a lot better about the other guys because they've already done it and they're not outside of their prime yet. In a lot of cases, they're just entering it. Um not to mention Doncic, who is not even close really to entering his prime age-wise, um, you wouldn't think. So I, yeah, it, it, that's why I thought it was a fascinating question, just because I hadn't even really thought about it that way. But anytime we talk about, and we've, you and I have had this conversation before, I think on the pod, probably aside from the pod, um, and Kendrick Perkins, I want to say, not to give it too much air, but he said something about how, Giannis reminds him of Tim Duncan where he's like, he's not that marketable. Um, and I was like, what, what do you mean? He's not that marketable. Like, what? I, I, I think that dude is extremely marketable, like and extremely lovable. Just the minute he came into the league and he was like, God bless America because he had a smoothie for the first time, yeah. um, you know, and getting his driver's <laughs> license and, um, you know, in America, he was, he was just, on the cover. He was on the cover of GQ. Like Giannis yeah. is, is not Tim Duncan at all. No, not at all. I mean, like, it's very, very different. I think, you know, the the Chick-fil-A thing with the 50-piece after mm-hmm. the finals. Uh, dude is kind of like a beloved player already. Um, but but I will say that there does seem to be something weird in the air and the water when it comes to the, the reception these guys get from other players around the league. Jokic in particular, that's mm-hmm. true of. Um I feel like I don't see that as much with Luca for whatever reason. Um, maybe it's because he's a guard um, and is playing, you know, head to head against these guys and he's beating them and making them look silly. I'm not sure what it is. It doesn't feel like it's as much a thing with him, but uh, that to me is what I, you know, what I find interesting is that I think the, the foreign guys don't become a part of the consciousness until they absolutely have to, when mm-hmm. they're just, the, the play is so overwhelming because, you know, because the networks don't feel like you can market games around them until it's so overwhelming. And quite frankly, that's true of small market guys, too. Ja, I imagine we will see Memphis on national TV a lot more next season because now it's oh, reached yeah. such a fever pitch. And he's an American player. So maybe it's just like a, a network thing. And I think I've told you and, and listeners before about being at ESPN for those years. And we would have those meetings in which they would walk us through in a general sense, how they determine how many games teams get uh, on national TV and what they base it on. And it's basically like, yeah, this team is this popular. Um, even if you've got a star player, the tier there were different tiers of stars they had where they're like, we'll give them this many games because this guy generates this much attention. And so you only have really two A-plus guys in their opinion. This was back when I was there. 
but the only two A plus guys they had were LeBron and Steph. As far as like, we'll take them any and every time we can have them on television. Even when those the Bucks were coming off like that sixty, however many sixty six, sixty seven mm-hmm. win season, Giannis was like an A A minus guy. Like he, they they didn't max out the Bucks games that year. The next year after that, which I found fascinating, he was coming off an MVP and they'd won sixty seven games, and it was kind of like, ah, eh, he's he's probably like our fourth or fifth guy as far as like putting him on TV because it's Milwaukee. So I don't know. The, the the foreign guys have a lot of that going on too, but these other players now are undeniable. Jokic at this point, Luka, uh, Giannis, obviously, and Embiid. Um, and Embiid playing with Harden. So uh, there, there are going to be more opportunities for them to win MVPs, I think, than the than the other guys. But John may get there. We'll see. He's the one guy I would probably take odds on at this point. How could you not with what Memphis is doing? Yeah, I think Ja has the potential to just transcend the average NBA viewer. Like I think that the audience and the the just the, the allure of watching him, he's just so magnetic and there's going to be a time like in his prime I feel like you know my mom will know who Ja Morant is and she knows like 3 NBA players. So that's like the type of popularity that's big. That I think he can attain. Um, he's just absolutely that's a big ridiculous. Thing. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for or the perfect table. Hey, where are you coming? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card, hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it and travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel, it's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, so let's move on to this, uh, this, uh, this email from Eric, listener named Eric. Um, Kind of a bummer of an email, I'm not going to lie, but but thank you, Eric, for writing it. Uh, Eric writes, hey, Mike, Rohan, and Chris, with the Kings losing their 41st game, they have now ensured another non-winning season. Did you know that the Kings have been in Sacramento for 37 seasons, of which Rick Adelman was coached for eight seasons? And while Rick Adelman had eight winning seasons, all other Kings coaches have exactly zero winning seasons. How is this even possible? And besides cyanide, what hope can you give to a oh, long-suffering Nor- oh, NorCal brethren? <laughs> Keep that up the good so work. so dark. I know. Ooh, that one wasn't in the outline. That's so dark. <laughs> Please don't drink anything poisonous. I, I beg of you. Yes. Um, Eric, thank you so much uh, for writing in. Um, yeah, so the Kings... Uh, you know, they, they traded, I will say, okay, so I'm going to, I have a stat that's, I'm trying to be as optimistic as possible about the situation. I, please, I, we got people I, that are saying, please don't offer us cyanide. Please, <laughs> yeah. please glass half full of anything but cyanide. Optimism. So you have De'Aaron Fox and you have, uh, Domas Sabonis. And those are two, um, Borderline all-star, lower tier all-star players who complement each other offensively, I think, a decent amount. And as they play um, together over the next couple seasons, uh, could develop a really interesting chemistry. And so far, their offensive rating when they're on the floor together, Sacramento's offensive rating with Fox and Sabonis is 116.4, which that's only in an eight-game sample size. But that number is slightly better than the first place Utah Jazz. That's uh, something could be a lot worse. I'm just going to say it could be a lot worse in Sacramento than having a very good offense when you just traded Tyrese Halliburton away and you got Sabonis and it looks like Sabonis and Fox are clicking. Um, Beyond that, it's like, okay, what are you getting in the draft? 
you know, we just talked about, I should say, well, let me back up for a second. We just talked about the Spurs and how they kind of acknowledge where they are as an organization and they trade Derek way. They trade that young, they get picks and you like the route that they're on. It's realistic. Um, and it sets them up for success in the future. It's like with the Kings, it's like you had Harrison Barnes. You saw the market for what these other guys were getting. And why is Harrison Barnes still on your team? It just, it doesn't mm-hmm. make any sense. You are not going to make the play-in this year. And there were a couple guys on their roster that that was true of. I think Rashawn yes. Holmes probably would have been a guy Absolutely. that a lot Absolutely. of people would have had interest in. And a lot of teams would have had an interest in. So that's, that. that's a big part of when you're not good. And, and granted, like the other thing we should add in is we talk about the Rick Adelman stat, which I have seen a lot this week, which is sad. It's, it's, it's sad. Like we, ja- we laugh, we joke you have a lot of people that are really vested in this franchise. They just built a stadium. I don't know to what extent, um, you know, the city had to kick in money for it, but like, this is stuff that actually impacts people. And, you know, this is a team that wasn't, that was pretty close to losing a city that was pretty close to losing a team. So I, I legitimately feel for the fans and sincerely feel for the fans. This will be 16 years in a row if they don't make the playoffs. 16 years in a row to be the longest stretch in NBA history. Um, mm-hmm. They're tied for the longest stretch. Now they'll have that record to themselves if they don't make it this year. Like I, I want to see them do well, but a big part of that is when you've got legitimate assets in a market where you, you can actually get something back for them. You have to let them go. And I think that there's so much put on the idea of like, let's just be respectable enough to where you you hold on to these guys hoping to make a run that looks unlikely. I mean, think about how bad the Lakers have been this whole time. And they're still like not behind this. I, I yeah, I, I don't know. There are a lot of questions that I have, but but yeah, I, I I sincerely wish them well. I want them to do well. It was a really fun era that we had the last time the Kings were good, where they were able to play a foil to one of those great teams. And it would be cool to see them in that conversation again. We've seen now the Suns, a team that just broke their drought in terms of playoff appearances, how quickly they've turned it around with their owner in turmoil as we speak. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's possible. It, it's it's certainly not as impossible as the Kings have made it as an organization. And I feel, I feel bad for their fans. Yeah, right now, um, according to tankathon.com, uh, the Kings have a a nine percent chance of getting the number one overall pick, a thirty seven point two percent chance of getting a top four pick. Uh, so that's okay, I guess. It would be wonderful. I mean, look, like a lot of these teams out here: Orlando, Houston, Detroit, OKC, um, the Pacers, the Knicks, <laughs> just like. Team, these teams really need to hit in the lottery. And there's going to be a few players, I think, this year that could be awesome. And, like, Davion Mitchell is a, is a really that's – a, that's a, I think that's a quality building block going forward. Yeah. Um, but you need, like, you need that, 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 that like, an actual guy who can change your trajectory. I don't think Savonis is that. I don't think Fox is that. Um, and it's like you're aspiring for mediocrity, but you're coming up short even just doing that. And that's really just like such a gut punch. Like if you're gonna if you're gonna stink, like at least aspire to actually build like a championship contender. But like you're not even doing that. So it stinks. Um, I second everything you said, Chris. I apologize to the people of Sacramento for the pain you are enduring, but hopefully uh, the sun comes out sooner than later and you get some lottery luck and you don't draft, uh, or I should say you don't pass on a once-in-a-lifetime talent. Again, <laughs> that would also be great. Uh, um, a lot of the current misfortunes of the organization go back to Marvin Bagley over Luka Doncic. And uh, yeah, the draft is very powerful. So good luck in this year's lottery and this year's draft Sacramento Kings. Um, Okay. Chris, 
Let's close out today's episode. Um, the great Shaquille O'Neal celebrates his 50th birthday on Sunday. So for SI.com, I, I tried to uh, rank his five best games. And you can go check that out right now on SI.com. And I found that it was uh, pretty much impossible to do. Um, this guy, it's like it's Shaq. It's, it's really kind of uh trait to say that he was awesome and dominant, but like, just look at some of the box scores and go back on YouTube Insane. and watch some of the games. Like this man was, he's just like, they don't, it's wild, wild stuff. Um, and particularly his age 22 season, I really think this should be talked about more. Um, led the NBA in scoring 22 years old, led the NBA in scoring took his team, the Orlando Magic, to the finals. Like, who Like who does that? It would be like if Ja did that this season. Ja led the NBA in scoring, which he's not doing, and then took the Grizzlies to the finals. Like, it, 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 that stuff just doesn't happen. So um, after doing a little bit of research, I, I found a bunch of games and tried to rank them. I obviously failed. But I'm curious, Chris, like, do, do you do, – what is, like, the, the best Shaq game that you can think of or the one that kind of pops into your head when his name comes up where you're like, wow, Shaq was just absolutely a monster that night. I didn't have a, a one game. Um, I just, one series that I wanted to go back and watch clips from just because I think it shows you a lot is the, the O one finals against the mm-hmm. Sixers because now, granted, they're very different body styles and body types, but Dikembe Mutombo was defensive player of the year. <laughs> and Shaq, like, the, you watch the clips from that series, man. And I think the Sixers had the best defense in the league that year. It was like a team that was very much built like, if you want to compare it, like very much like a Bulls, Derrick Rose type team where you had like a guard that was an absolute star not a whole lot of scoring talent around him, but a defense that was just dominant the way that the Bulls were under Tom Thibodeau. So it was kind of like that with Iverson. And you had a defensive player of the year in Dikembe Mutombo. And every other play was Dikembe like looking at refs saying like, help me, like help me help you. Or just Dikembe couldn't stop him. And Dikembe looked like he was at risk of like physical harm on half the plays because Shaq was just, manhandling the dude like a seven foot object the best defensive player in the in the league that year and every play was ending with the dunk and there was that comment recently that Danny Green made and I I love Danny Green so I'm not trying to like go out of my way to knock him but he said the other day about Embiid and the idea that like he's Shaq with footwork and touch I, I might need Danny to go back and watch some of Shaq because <laughs> Shaq had touch one, not from the free throw line, but like from the post and, and his footwork. Are, like, are you kidding me? He watched Shaq used play. to run fast breaks, man. Like Shaq was. Yeah, ridiculous. he was a beast. And like, look at that play where he just devastates uh, David Robinson. That, that play that, you know, is probably one of his best highlights of all time where he just kind of like David Robinson has no chance because Shaq, I mean, Shaq was not dream shaking folks very often, but like he had enough moves to just like put people in the basket and he did it all the time. And he did it to Dikembe Mutombo play after play after play after play in an NBA finals. Um, He averaged 34 and 15 against Dikembe Mutombo. a defensive player of the year in the finals on a team where Kobe was getting plenty of shots. So Shaq could have scored more than that. Um, Not to mention the free throw deficiency. Like Shaq could have scored. Shaq could have averaged 40 in that series very easily. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, it was just like crazy, crazy stuff to look at, but he was just so dominant. So that series was what stood out to me. Yeah, absolutely ridiculous. And I think what's really fun, or not fun, but intriguing about Shaq's legacy is what you just said. Like, he could have done this if he could make free throws, or sometimes it's if he... um, A work ethic. Prioritized basketball. Yeah, and it's like that becomes the dominant narrative in a way that really allows us to take for granted just how 
just absurd he actually was it's like yeah sure he could have been he could have had a better career um a lot of guys could have had better careers but what he actually did accomplish uh, on a consistent basis was truly remarkable unprecedented will never be seen again so uh happy birthday to Shaq on sunday turning 50 all-time great um i guess my real quick my number one that i ended up going with and I'm probably wrong about this, if you can be wrong about such a thing, was (laughs) uh, game six of the 2000 finals. So the first, it was his first ring against the Pacers. They were up three, one and then three, two in the series. And I think that series is best remembered for Kobe playing on the uh, badly sprained ankle and having a, 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 a terrific performance. I think it was in game four I want to say um but Shaq in that last game had like 41 and I don't know 16 or 18 or something like that and was it was the biggest game of his life up to that point and anytime you score over 40 in the biggest game of your life that's pretty important and it was um legacy altering obviously so that's the one I went with but yeah shout out to Shaq um awesome Dude, awesome career. Um, Super. Okay, Chris. uh, I think that brings us to the end of today's show. Thank you so much for being yourself. Thank you so much to our listeners for writing in. Um, Everyone, please keep the emails coming to openfloormail at gmail.com. That's openfloormail at gmail.com. Everybody stay safe. Everybody, please continue to enjoy the NBA season. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex.